Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be joined by Shana James of shanajamescoaching.com forward slash the number three ways, three W-A-Y-S. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Shana is an amazing expert on relationships, the relationships we have with our significant others and the relationships we have in our business and how to make them all more harmonious, happy, and profitable. Shana, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's go back in time a little bit. How did you get started? Wow. Well, for going like midlife, I would say I got started when I was part of an intentional community in San Francisco in my 20s. And I was actually doing a master's in psychology, so we could go back even farther. But at that point, uh, we I was part of this group of young entrepreneurs and kind of wild people who were starting our own businesses and being really honest with each other about like when we got upset with each other, when we were attracted to each other and all this stuff was happening and we were trying to be authentic and clean up our messes and like stay actually connected. And the two of the men started a course called the Authentic Man Program because as they were interacting with us, the women in the community, they they felt so much freer and more confident and more, um, you know, they were having more success with women. And so I got to start being a coach for men in the Authentic Man program. And uh, that changed my life. All right. So master's in psychology and then started uh, why you are a woman. Why work with men as opposed to women? What do you like better about working with men or what do you like different? Yeah. Well, right, because I created a whole workshop business for women and, you know, have taught women about relationships and stuff. But I would say there's something that happens when I'm working with men that doesn't get to happen when I'm working with women, especially men who are in heterosexual relationships, where we get to practice together. There's like a human practice of, you know, what creates more understanding, more respect, more admiration, more turn on. And so in the tool belt, instead of working with women and talking about this separate thing of their relationships, we actually get to play with it in the moment. All right. So who is an ideal client for you? An ideal client would be a man who's generally 40 to 60, who has either gone through a divorce or a breakup, 
and is starting over again, or a man who's married but feels more like we're roommates, you know, it's not very satisfying, it's not very exciting. So, you know, men who are not having the experiences they want with women, and oftentimes what also shows up is there's some kind of ceiling at work where, you know, they're doing great. Most of the men are really successful and they know there's more and they're having a hard time getting there. Okay. So there's more in their relationship and there's more in their career, both of which they are not getting. What are some of the most common mistakes you find them making in their approach to both women and work? Mm. I would say thinking that everyone works like them. You know, and so as they're communicating with people and trying to work with people or as they're communicating with uh, a date or a wife or a partner, there's a sense of, well, why doesn't this person work like I do? And, um, you know, attempting to muscle through that and force through that. And another, you could call this, you know, part B or number two is not really asking questions, not getting curious, thinking oh, if I'm, you know, I'm a man, I'm supposed to know already. I'm supposed to have all the skills. And so I can't ask. And then kind of leaving people in the dust and not even realizing that what they're doing is impacting the response that they're getting. Okay. And why do you think we think that as men, why do you think whether it's at work um, or at home, why do you think that we think we shouldn't have to ask, we should know what we're doing? And why do you think we don't know? Well, I mean, we live in a very masculine society. You know, for one, most of us are raised um, with like this, the dominant paradigm or way of interacting or relating tends to be more masculine, which, you know, for better or for worse. And so I think um, there's a lot of genderized guidance and education, you know, a lot of coaches and teachers and even parents and religious institutions basically talk about like, if you're a man, you're this way and you're the rock and, you know, you know, it all, it looks, it's bad to look like you don't know something or to, you know, that looks weak. And so I think there's a lot of shame that happens, a lot of, um, you know, cultural conditioning and shame. Absolutely. And how are you helping those men work through those issues, uh, you know, one at a time? Sometimes it has to do with helping men find their own clarity, right? Like go back into situations and really look at what happened in that fight that I just had with my partner and where was I disempowered and where was I blaming or, you know, feeling like more of a victim, like life is just happening to me. And where do I actually get my power back? And sometimes there's, we do either um, practice or role play or things like that, where men get a feel for, oh, this is what it's like to have a real conversation. You know, this is what it's like to go deep and to impact someone in a positive way instead of have them storm off or just <laughs> sulk away. So, you know, I actually get to be honest about, oh, well, that, what you just did in that moment had me trust you more. Or what you just did in that moment, like suddenly there's more spark and more, you know, more, more chemistry or whatever here, or suddenly I just felt like I wanted to, you know, push you away from me. So we get to actually, again, practice that in the moment. That is absolutely fascinating. What do you like best about the work that you're doing? Mm. I love that part. I just, I just love how you can take one tiny little moment and you can blow it up or 
expand it to see the microcosm of, you know, what's happening in life. And, you know, one little look or one thing you say or one way you react, it's not to make you wrong, but it just helps you really get a sense of, oh, where are the breakdowns happening? And how can I be more relaxed and more human and, you know, have fewer like rigid expectations of myself, really enjoy myself more, be more productive, be more connected, have more love, more sex. You know, it all comes through often looking at one little moment. So that applies both to home and at work, right? So how do you, so some of us act um, as men one way at work, and yes. then we carry that through at home and that doesn't necessarily work for our spouse. Yes. So how do you differentiate between those roles? How do you transition to being in a different state that is more receptive to our relationship at home when our relationship that made us accept the way we act at work that made us successful might not necessarily translate? Yeah. You know, eventually I think there's a lot more um, heart and kind of relationality and um, body or embodiment, you know, that happens that men start to bring back to the office and that does really help. But in the beginning, you know, most men act from their mind and from their head and then they go home and that just tends to be a little less, um, it's less exciting. It's less connected, you know? And so oftentimes I'm helping men, this might sound very esoteric, but, you know, helping men be more present or get into their bodies and, and actually get into their hearts and, and be impacted more deeply by something their their partner or you know a woman in their life is saying as opposed to just reacting with intellect how do i think what happens in both places both locations a lot of times is men interpret what women are saying perhaps as either attacking or criticism and we get defensive and that's our first natural response yeah. how do we stop doing that and hear what's actually being said and have a constructive conversation in both places? That's a great question. I mean, I love Don Miguel Ruiz's work, you know, his four agreements. Four agreements, and, you know, yes. not taking anything personally. It's the hardest it's so one powerful. and the most important, right? It is. I mean, it's, it's really powerful. I think one of the ways, and one of my other favorite books is called Undefended Love. And it's really about how, as we're defending ourselves, we're defending these personality structures that aren't really us that, you know, that there's a, it, it, it goes really deep actually, when you start to realize, oh, I'm sticking up for a part of me that, you know, I, it isn't necessarily me even, but we can feel like, oh, I need, I need to be this person because otherwise I don't get love. I don't get approval. So I would say one of the ways to start getting less defensive is to first recognize that most people's responses are really based in their own history, their own frustrations, right? And then to start to get curious. And so you can turn defensiveness into curiosity and really start to understand there's a whole world happening in that person over there. So, okay, tell me more, you know, what was really frustrating? What was most frustrating to you about that? Or, you know, where, were, where, did, where did you feel let down? It's not like, where did I let you down? Where did you feel let down? Where was the where was the pain in that for you? Like, help me understand it, you know? And the more a woman feels understood instead of just stunted or, you know, walled off, the more she's actually gonna feel like she can be closer to you. She can soften, which is often what most men are looking for. 
right? Instead of a woman being like rigid and just getting pissed off and walking away, she can actually soften into being closer to you. All right. So how then, so I like the getting curious. Um, a lot of times we get on both sides, both men, women, and at work and at home get triggered, right? Something that is said, we may not be reacting to yes. the person in front of us. We yes. may be reacting to something that happened in our childhood or a yeah. parent or something else. So how do we recognize that and, you know, stop ourselves from, um, going, oh, you're acting, you know, the, the, the not good words of like, hey, yeah. you got that from your father yeah. or um, you're turning into your mother and instead actually not make it worse. Well, the first way to not make it worse is to never use you statements because that just blows people up immediately, right? So what is you know, a you statement? Like you're acting like your father or you are acting like an asshole <laughs> does not make anyone feel good. You know, and so you can turn that one around by starting to say, I, like, I don't feel safe here, or I'm feeling attacked, or I'm feeling blamed. It's not, those are actually aren't feelings, but it's a good doorway into starting to go deeper into that place of really owning your, your, your feelings and what's happening to you, as opposed to just blaming or attacking. You know, one of the really simple things I have people do is like, take a breath. This is what I started to do. After I got divorced, I committed to myself that I was not going to engage in disrespectful conversation anymore in my relationship. And, and we're all human. That off, right? Mostly. I would say like 95% I'm there. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. And and part of it is that I, you know, the Viktor Frankl quote that between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, I can't remember how the rest of it goes. It's like basically in that space is your freedom, is your choice. And you don't have to respond, right? So if you can be, some people call it mindfulness, some people call it witness. If you can actually witness what's happening in you and instead of spewing it on someone or puking it on someone, if you can be like, wow, I'm noticing I'm really frustrated right now, or I'm noticing that I have this story that you're not respecting me right now. And, you know, some part of me feels like I could really lash out. Or what I do is I sometimes say like, I, I close my eyes and like, I'm going to take a breath and I'm actually not going to speak until I can say something that's not going to destroy our relationship right now. I, I'm imagining you're phrasing it slightly differently because if you say, I'm going to say something that's going to destroy our relationship, that just might, might inflame the other person just it a might, little bit. It might. It might, but it's also like, hey, what I'm doing is making sure that I'm not going to say that. Now, the other thing that's really important that most couples don't do or most business partners don't do is actually have a, uh, an agreement or a kind of a protocol for what happens when we're upset with each other. You know, what happens when you want something that I don't want or what happens when I think this is the way it should go. And you're like, hell no, that's not happening, right? Do we actually come to the table? Are we both willing to get curious and try to understand each other? Or are we just going to walk all over each other and create a big mess? So sometimes you have to back up to what is what are the contexts or the agreements or the protocols for how we're actually relating to each other. And most couples do not do anything like that. I would agree 100%. So I love that you're being proactive because that applies at work too. So yes. for example, can can you give us an example of what a example of what of what of instead of a you know a 
identity theft breach plan or a disaster plan. Can you give us an example of what you're talking about? Yeah. So say, you know, let's even bring it into business, right? Say you have a business partner and you see an opportunity and you're like, this is amazing. We're going to go in this direction. I feel clear. And the other person's like, ah, nope, I don't think so. I don't trust that person. You know, this is not a good business decision. And so instead of both people talking to each other from that more entrenched position, well, this is what I see. How can you not see this? Right. There would be a coming to the table and actually recognizing, oh, okay, that we're we assuming positive intent is a is a great way to say it. Like, oh, there's I, I'm assuming that there's a positive intention that you have. Can you help me understand it? Right. So it goes, you know, curiosity again. Can you help me understand this? And would you be willing to hear what I have to say? And then there's more of a negotiation that comes from hey, we're both attempting to really see both sides of the coin or both sides of the table, as opposed to we're trying to be right and, you know, get that need met. So what do you do if, for example, you've got a, a, what you don't want it to be a transaction, right? You don't want people keeping score because then it's a transaction and not necessarily the relationship that you want. How do you get out of that mentality? How do you get curious, non-reactive, non-defensive? Yeah. Again, you have to back it up to see, oh, if, uh, if my belief in myself is, is, on, is like on a faulty ground, there's no foundation, right? If you build a house without a foundation, it's more likely to crumble. And so oftentimes it's not necessarily in that moment only that we're looking at. It's you've got to do some work to actually understand yourself, to understand your triggers and know when they're, when they're going to pop, right? And to actually look at what are the things that have me feel unworthy or unlovable so that as they arise, it's like, oh, there's that thing, as opposed to now you're enraged because you're reacting as though you are that thing. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. What do you like best about what you do? What I like best about what I do, I think is that I get to be really, um, I get to be honest and loving at the same time. Like we get to really look at the whole range of being a human and make it all right and all good. And then look at, you know, like when you come from that place of there's nothing wrong here or you're not wrong or the other person's not wrong. It's like, how do we collaborate and how do we be more effective and how do we be more happy? And, you know, I, I love the range of human experience, I think, from work and business and having an impact in the world to sex and love and connection. And so I love that I get to do all of that. With all of the success that you've had, what is your biggest challenge now? Biggest challenge now? That's a great question. I think it would be just, you know, getting out in the world in a bigger way and supporting the that cultural construct that men have to be strong and men have to, you know, man up and being more of a voice for, okay, men can be powerful and, you know, amazing. And at the same time, I think we really need to welcome more of men's vulnerability and not have men be so isolated and so much more likely to commit suicide. 
um, yeah. So somehow, you know, getting out there in the world to support that. You are getting out there in the world in a lot of different ways. Talk to us about the podcast and the upcoming book. Yeah. So the podcast is Man Alive. I love having these conversations with experts again, you know, everywhere from sex to success to health and legacy, really geared toward men so that men can have all of these resources and a lot of the self help or growth. I think more and more, you know, there are more for men. But for a long time, it was really geared toward women. So I love Man Alive makes that more available to men. I have a book coming out with your help, which is amazing. It's called Power and Pleasure, How a Man, a Man's Guide to Being a Confident and Satisfied Lover and Leader. And yeah, I just, again, I love the range in it. You know, it talks about how men can have 14 different types of orgasms and also how you can Which create- is a fascinating <laughs> chapter, by the way. <laughs> yes. And how you could do better in your business. So I love all of that. Awesome. For our viewers and listeners who want to learn more, I believe you have a very special offer for them at shanajamescoaching.com forward slash the number three, three ways. Um, tell us a little bit about what they'll get there. Yeah, there's a guide there around how men lose influence at work and with women. So like you said, there are ways that when you bring your work persona home to women, it doesn't necessarily work, but there are also these overlaps in the ways that you can lose influence in the office and with women. And so I, I talk more about that and really about, we start with where influence begins because I had a very interesting experience actually with a horse. I will... <laughs> more into that, where I learned that influence starts way before you think it does. And so that one really lays out how you start to influence people um, and, and that it's more invisible. It's really more under the surface than most people realize. Wow. That is, I have to ask you the horse story another time. <laughs> um, that is fascinating. Folks, go check out shanajamescoaching.com forward slash three ways. Shana, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks everybody for watching or listening. We'll see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text Pitch to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text pitch to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.